Well, good morning. Again, as Jerry said, I am David, and I am so excited to be here. Um, I have the privilege of serving as pastor of Green Level Baptist Church, and we think of ourselves as kind of uh, a partner and a sister to you guys. Uh, we have done a lot in our time together. Um, and so I, if, how many of you were at our Good Friday service we did together? So you guys know that I talked for a long time. Um, and so uh, I'm going to kind of dive in before. I just want to say you guys have no idea how, how long the partnership has been. So uh, I came to Green Level in 2008 in seminary as a part-time youth director. And one of the first people I remember meeting other youth pastors in the area was Adam. And uh, I actually was the chaplain for the Panther Creek football team. And Diana came over and helped serve meals uh, with us and just worked in the kitchen, preparing the meals and, and loving on the football team. Uh, one of the first community partners, I remember uh, David getting an email from David and reaching out about doing some stuff with a local um, apartment complex. And so earlier I saw Ben Foote, who I coached in middle school. Footy, where are you? Raise your hand. Right there. And, uh, and then we did upward soccer, and Tom was one of the coaches, and there's some others. Lucas was like the star of the league, and I see Lucas over here. He like ran the league, and he like, you know, it was kind of like people wanted him on this, like build the first super team. So it wasn't the Warriors. It was like Lucas and his, and his upward team. And then, you know, getting Jerry the call of, about doing Easter egg drop with David and then the Good Friday service and the, the way we've been able to do that is just beautiful. I love your church. I love that we serve together and serve the same area. Um, and, you know, I love it because I grew up a PK. I'm a pastor's kid. And growing up as a PK, I knew one thing really clearly. I didn't want to be a pastor. <laughs> right? I, I just I didn't want to do that. Um, and so what I really, I love sports. I wanted to be an athlete. Um, I had a kind of a career ending injury when I was a senior in high school. So my fallback plan was to go to the one school I always wanted to go to, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm a proud, proud Tar Heel. So hopefully those of you that are Tar Heel fans, don't let everybody else hate on you, right? UNC, University National Champion. That's what we do. So, uh, my wife's from NC State, so uh, she, that's where she went. So we met one another, so guys, a sense of humor, because my wife's from NC State, and my first ministry job, I'll get to that in a second, that I did coming out of college, get this, guys. I went to UNC. I was an athlete. The one thing I hated more than anything else, I hated Duke athletics. Like, you know, anybody, Duke is puke, you know, that, that was me. So when God got a hold of my life in college, and he used my background. My first role in ministry was I worked for Athletes in Action, and I was assigned to Duke. <laughs> so my job was to disciple and love on Duke athletes. So I wanted them to win in their hearts, win with the Lord, and lose on... I'm just kidding. So um, I, I wanted them to succeed. So uh, and, and so it was great. But, you know, I, I didn't want to be a pastor because I just felt like you know, we talk about worship, we talk about missions, we talk about the way that all of these things work. And, you know, I watched, I mean, my, my father went on missions. My father went, you know, it's awesome that I'm here on a day that the team's in Beirut. Um, I grew up with my dad going to Eastern Europe pretty much since I can remember every year. And I grew up seeing that, but I, I didn't really know the disconnect. I, I really didn't feel the connect between worship and missions. 
I struggle to see that the, the way that those two things work together. Because we talked a lot about worshiping here, and we talked a lot about missions there, and we raised money for it, and we sent teams over there, but I didn't really know the way that the two overlapped, because from my perspective, we talked a lot about missions, and we, would, we did some missions, but when it came to worship, we just bickered. We just argued all the time. So we, we, we would go and we would say we want somebody else to know, but then here we just seem to infight all the time. And so when I went to UNC Chapel Hill, I went with a very clear goal. I went and I studied law because I didn't enjoy the sciences, and law seemed like a good way to make a lot of money. And then God got a hold of my life through a ministry called Campus Crusade. And then when I was a senior, a lot happened really quickly in my life. When I was a senior, I had gone to a, a crusade Christmas conference in Greensboro. And some of my friends said, hey, we're going to go to Nashville for this thing called the Passion Conference. I had never heard of the Passion Conference. And they said, we have an extra ticket if you'd like to go. And I'm a college student, so it didn't matter. I didn't pack for that. I was good. There was one, you know, if I had one article of clothing, I was good for a long time. And so I just repacked and I went to Nashville. And I remember walking in, I, I didn't know who this guy was, and I heard a guy named John Piper preach on the supremacy of God and the suffering of his son. And the thing I remember about it was there wasn't jokes. He just came in and it was, he, it just, he just went. And I, I was like, that's different. I went to the bookstore and I saw his name in a book called Let the Nations Be Glad. And I picked up that book, and that book has revolutionized my life. And these are the opening words of that book. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, Missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way before, because I hadn't. I hadn't really thought the reason that Adam and the team are in Beirut is to see worship. Not just to go and, 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 and check it off. And see, I, I played a lot of sports, and I came from kind of a southern part of North Carolina. I, I was born in Richmond, but then we moved to North Carolina. So I played baseball in a little place called Belmont. It's a stop on 85 if you head south. And my high school baseball coach was fond of really great sayings. So he used to tell us we were irrespectable. Um, and uh, one, I, I remember one game I was pitching, and he walked out there, and I wasn't doing particularly well, and I was kind of down on myself, and he walked out. And he, he said, David, yes, coach, son, are you going to settle for a bologna sandwich when you can have a fillet mignon? <laughs> Actual quote. That's not even making that up. And I've thought about that quote because words of wisdom from my coach. In the Christian life, too many of us settle for a bologna sandwich when God has filet us. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to join me in Psalm 67. The text will be up here. Before we get to the text, let's pray. Father, um, speak to us through your word. 
Father, may I decrease that you might increase. Father, whatever um, molds and shapes our hearts to make us like Jesus, I pray that that would remain. Father, if there are those here this morning that don't know where they stand with you, Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart. They might see and behold your glory and your love and your grace and your mercy extended to them in Christ. Father, we praise you and thank you as sons and daughters that we are not saved because we're good enough or we've achieved enough, but we're saved because you are great and you love us. Father, thank you that it is by grace that we are even here this morning. Thank you that it is by grace that we have your word and our language. May we not take this for granted. So, Father, as we turn to your word, what we have not, we ask you to give to us. What we know not, we ask that you would teach us. And what we are not, we ask that you would make us for your glory and our good. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 67 says this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms. This Psalm was the foundation for Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. I love the Psalms, not just because my name is David, and that was a natural connection. Uh, so it's not just because of that. I love the Psalms because the Psalms is, is, is a book of songs. That's what the Psalms are. It's a, it's a song book. And the great thing about songs is they don't just inform our minds, they transform and shape our hearts. I mean, think about your life. You have a playlist that constantly runs through your life. Think about your memories. How many times is a memory associated with a song? How many of you, you have a song for your mood or a song to shape your mood, right? Like, I remember that I still have this little, I grew up in the age of mixtapes. Anybody else? Mix, mixtapes, then then mix CDs. So, I, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day. Do you remember when the no skip thing came out and how revolutionary that was? And just things that the next, my kids will know nothing about, right? They will know nothing about, you know, blowing off the back of a CD or, or winding back the cassette or, you know, things like that. You know, they just push a button. So, um, but I grew up in mixtapes, and I, and I even have a mixtape from my senior year of high school with all the songs from my senior year of high school. And the other day I listened to it, and it's like you get transported back. But not just that. Songs can shape us no matter our age. So I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. My three-year-old is a son, Caleb. And by the way, uh, you can pray for my wife. My son, Caleb, broke my wife's nose this week. So <laughs> uh, actually trying to hug her. He just, is an, he just is a big, kind of aggressive little guy, and uh, he, it was actually a, a love move, and it just sort of a confluence of perfection, just broke her nose. So, uh, and then I have a daughter, Evelyn, and they're both really cute. Now, here's the thing. I've noticed, parents, you know this. How many of you have ever tried to teach a toddler something, and they just don't get it? And then you put it to music, and what happens? All of a sudden, they can remember it. And they can know it. 
and then they'll start talking about it. But it's not just toddlers, it's on the other side of life. See, my church, we do a service at Spring Arbor um, Assisted Living Facility. And I can't tell you the number of times I've led a service in there, and I'll go around, and these these dear saints, they can't tell me their name. They don't know hardly anything about their life. They don't remember it. But you start playing Amazing Grace or an old hymn, they can sing every single word. And see, that's why we have the Psalms, because what we've got to realize is this. The Bible, what God is doing is to shape your and my heart. See, too many of us approach God like we approach food, right? I mean, you're a little kid. I'm a picky eater. I was a picky eater. It makes it tough as a parent, right? I like very specific things. I like chicken. I could eat chicken at every meal. Maybe it's because I'm the son of a pastor, but I do like chicken, But remember as a little kid, you know, people say, you're going to eat so much chicken, you're going to what? You're going to turn into a chicken, right? And that's, you know, we laugh at that, but that's kind of the way that we approach our lives and we approach God, same sort of mindset, same philosophy. We think what goes in shapes us, right? And so, like, if I met you, and and the first thing that you would tell me is what? What you do. You would tell me what you do. But the Bible doesn't start with what you do. The Bible starts with who you are. The Bible doesn't say it's what we do that shapes us. The Bible says we do who we are. If you want to think of it this way, the Bible says uh, we do who we be. That's the Bible. And that's why God is into transforming our hearts. And that's why we have a song to sing. That's why we have these psalms. That's why we, when we gather together, we worship. Have you ever thought that when we gather together, we sing? Why do we sing? It's because God is worthy of our praise, but it's also is through the time when we were singing, God was doing a work in our hearts. God was shaping and molding our hearts. That's why when, when we pray, what do we say? Lord, give me a clean heart. That's why God says that he would write his word where? On our hearts. That's why Jesus says that what, comes, what we do is flowing out of us from our hearts. And Psalm 67 is a song for you're in my heart, to shape our understanding of who God is and what he's doing. But not just that, Psalm 67 is a prayer. It's a prayer. See, again, a lot of us, I have done this, I'm guilty of this from my life. We have a wrong understanding of prayer. We approach God like a soda machine. I mean, do people still use soda machines? No, I, I don't know. But, you know, so you go to the soda machine, you have some money. I mean, it's like $20 to get a drink now. So you go there and you want a Mountain Dew because Mountain Dew is the greatest drink in the entire history of the world. Okay? And so I drink way too much Mountain Dew. So that's, a, that's something I'm, I'm trying to cut out. So, uh, but you go and you put your money in, right? You have the money, you put it in there, and you want to get the drink that you want. Many of us approach God that way. We come with our gifts. We come with what we've done. And we say, God, I want this. And we put the money in and we expect for it to happen. Look, we've all been there. I remember driving in my car, high schooler, playing baseball. I was going through a slump. I pulled my car over. It's like, God, by the way, again, music. I had a mixtape that I shouldn't have been listening to. I knew I shouldn't have been listening to it. My parents didn't know I was listening to it. I pulled the car over and I was like, God, I'll get rid of the CD if you'll help me start hitting better. Now you laugh, but you've probably done this. 
because we do it about a lot of things in our life. Maybe it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend getting into the right college, getting promotion at work, our kids doing something. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. But prayer biblically is about aligning our hearts with God's heart. Prayer is where we come as clay and we come to God and God begins to mold and to shape us and to shape our hearts. And so here we have a song and a prayer come together to shape our hearts and say, you don't have to settle for a bologna sandwich. I have a filet for you. So let's dive in and see what's going on here. The first verse, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, this was a well-known prayer. It comes directly from Numbers chapter 6. This was a blessing that Aaron had given to the nation of Israel before they went into the promised land. It, it was a blessing for them. And here we have the quote, word for word, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And so here's the really cool thing about this song, because you can almost imagine that now, years later, as they're sitting in the land, they think back to when God had promised this for their time in the land. And now it's harvest season in the land. Look at the last verse, verse 7. Or I'm sorry, verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. So here they are. They're sitting back. It's harvest time. They're in the land. They're remembering the promise that Aaron had made long, long ago. And now they're enjoying the fruit. God has blessed them. And they remember the blessing. They remember Aaron's words. And they rejoice. And what really is this prayer? Well, it's a couple of things. First, may God be gracious to us. They're, they're praying for God's grace and bless us. They're praying for God's blessing. And then they're praying, God, may your face shine upon us. This is a Hebrew idiom for God's presence and his provision, his providing, right? So as a child, one thing that was really terrible about is I did not think you could listen to someone or, unless, you know, I needed someone talking to me to look at me. And so one of the jokes is if, if, if mom or dad were doing something that I would come and I would keep poking on them and poking on them until what? They turn their face to me. And what the prayer is, is God, may you be gracious to us. May you bless us. But not only that, would you make your face to shine upon us? Can we just stop here and say, this is a prayer that we should pray for our lives, for our, for our families, for this church. I hope Northwest, this is a prayer that you pray. My prayer for Northwest is that God would be gracious to you and bless you and make his face to shine upon you. But here's the problem. Too many of us live on that side of the hinge word of this verse. In your Bible, you'll notice a little word that says selah. Do you see that? It's a little word, S-E-L-A-H, selah. This is a little word that meant it was a time to pause and to reflect. It, it maybe was like a musical interlude. So the time when you're singing and the band just plays and they put the scripture up here, that's Selah. That's take time and pause and reflect and meditate on what has just been said. So take time and meditate on the prayer. May God be gracious and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Take time and reflect on that. But here's, here's where we go afoul. Too many a times 
we never resume the song. See, I've noticed this about my heart now that I don't, now that the days of the record and the cassette and the CD are over, I rarely listen to an entire song. Does anybody else have that problem? I'll listen and then I'll shuffle and I'll shuffle and I'll shuffle. We have Pandora and I'll be like, I like that song. Let's keep going. You know, but, and this is what we do. We move past the Selah. And here's my one question for you today. Will you and I move past the Selah? You're doing a series, words, uh, words for life or words to live by. And here's my, I have a word. Will you move past the Selah? Will you move past the Selah? Because after the time of pausing and reflecting, we have the hinge word of this entire psalm. What is it? That. That. See, too many of us approach God like we approach our yearbooks. You, even if it's been a long time ago, you had your yearbook, you remember your yearbook. When you get the yearbook, what's the first thing you do? Somebody tell me, when you get a yearbook, what's the first thing you do? You look for yourself. You start looking for all the places that you're in there. Oh, look, I'm here. Ooh, I didn't like that picture. Let's not show anybody this. Ooh, okay, why did they use that one? All right. You know, you're, you know, you're not scrolling. Now we just scroll, right? So it's an it's a electronic yearbook. But you're, you're flipping the page looking for yourself. And a lot of us, we approach God that way. We approach his word that way. We flip through the pages and we look for me. And I think this is the baloney sandwich. This is the lie. Because what we have is may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That. What's the that? That. Look at it that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Now stop and think about that. So imagine, here I am, and I, I am in Israel. I am in the land. I am enjoying the harvest. I am remembering Aaron's promise that I would get to do this, that this would be the place that God brought me, that God would be gracious and bless me and make his face to shine upon me. And now I am called to sing amen to that, but not just amen for me, amen for the nations. In fact, what it says is the purpose behind God's grace and blessing and presence and provision in my life is his glory among you. Do we want to move past the Selah? Church, this is the entire Bible. When God creates Adam and Eve before the fall, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. After the flood, when the waters rescind, he comes to Noah and he says, Noah, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. When he came to Abram and he says, get out of your land and go from here and I'm going to make you a great nation and all, what does he say? All the ends of the earth will be blessed through you. 
And in fact, those great stories we, we teach our kids about, we teach our kids about, you know, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and David, and these great stories and these heroes, but the outcome of the stories is not their victory. In each of those accounts, someone part of the nations looks at them and says, whoa, their God must be awesome. In fact, the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, when they go into the furnace, doesn't end just with there being somebody else. It ends with the king saying, let there be a decree that the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego is worthy of praise. Daniel ends that way. Story of Daniel. All of the heroes of the Bible, it doesn't end with people clapping and cheering them. It ends with people clapping and cheering God. Do we want to move past the Selah? See, here's what I came to see in the Bible. And this is a word for you to live by. How many of you... Uh, in college, I also was transformed by reading a guy named C.S. Lewis. Anybody else like C.S. Lewis, love C.S. Lewis? Have you ever read or seen Chronicles of Narnia, any of the stuff? Read it. The, the books are way better than the movies. Um, but if you've ever read or seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a turning point in that, in that story. It's the first words of chapter 7 where Edmund's been taken away and the other children are, are, are looking for Aslan, the Christ-like figure, and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, the animals talk in the story, if you're completely unfamiliar. If, if you've never read it and I'm talking about it, like, this is good, just going to be the weirdest thing. But Mr. and Miss, Mrs. Beaver, at the beginning of chapter 7, this is the turning point of the whole series, says, Aslan is on the move. Friends, I'm here to tell you, God is on the move. He's been on the move since before he said, let light shine into the darkness. He was on the move in the garden. He was on the move in the ark. He was in the move, on the move when he called Abram. He was on the move when Aaron gave the blessing. He was on the move in the lives of David. And, and he was on, on the move in the lives of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and all the stories. God is on the move. And here's the thing. Sometimes we look out and we say, God, what are you doing? What in the world are you doing? You know, I love the transparency this morning of sometimes I feel lonely. And sometimes we look out and we say, God, what in the world are you doing? Can I tell you what God's doing? You don't have to turn there, but I just want you to listen. Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, rooms, uh, white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let me read that again. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from, listen, every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the land, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, we don't talk about this enough because we only talk about the really bad stuff. Do you know where there are more Christians living today than any other part of the world? Sub-Saharan Africa. Did you know that? More people came to faith in Christ in the 1900s than in the previous 19 centuries combined. God, this is going to happen. This is the assurance. One day, Psalm 67 will come to fruition. One day, the peoples will praise God. Here's the question. If you and I don't move past the Selah, we don't get to experience it. We're like the grumpy kids on vacation who just want to sit in the room. I don't want to go out there. I don't know. 
They were mean to me. See, Lewis said, we're, we're like a little kid that is, is, is at the beach and, and we're content to play in the little mud puddle when the sea is right behind it. And this is, this is what God is, is doing. How many of you love the Olympics? I love the Olympics. Anybody else love the Olympics? All right, I love the Olympics. I get into it. I turn into the most hardcore USA guy in the world. I wear stars and stripes for days before and during and after the Olympics. And when I was a little kid, the most boring, terrible part of the Olympics that I hated was the opening ceremony. But now it's my favorite part. I love the opening ceremony. Specifically, I love the Parade of Nations because that's going to happen one day. But it's not going to happen with people coming in behind their flag uh, with a bunch of other competitors based on the merit of their achievement. See, one day I'm going to march in with the United States contingent. But it's not because I'm a great athlete. And the other people behind the other flags are not going to be my competitors. They're going to be my brothers and sisters. And we're not going to gather and we're not going to raise our voice to five rings and a burning torch. We're going to raise our voice to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who did all of that for us. That's Revelation 7. And Psalm 67 says, tune your heart to that. Like the frequency on the old radio dial. Kids, if you don't know what a radio is, ask your mom and dad, they'll know. And you used to have to turn it, right? You just didn't get to push the numbers and you had to turn it. Psalm 67 is where we turn our hearts to the the station that God is playing in in the world. That we get to be a part of. What he's doing. In fact, is this not what Jesus says? I mean, how many of us can quote the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 and 20? Go and make disciples of who? All nations. In the Greek, that is pantata ethne. You don't need to know that, but that actually means all peoples. It doesn't just mean nations. It means peoples. It means ethnic groups. This is what Psalm that let the peoples praise you. We don't often speak of peoples. There are 200 and something nations. There are over 11,000 peoples. Peoples are distinguished by their language and by their custom. 11,000, 2,000 years after Christ rose from the dead. Do you know how many of those people groups have an adequate opportunity to hear the gospel? Half. Half. This is why I love Northwest. I love partnering. I mean, why are we, why is church do, this is what I saw as a kid, as a pastor's come. We think we're building our little sandcastles. You know, we bicker and fight about this and that. And we're just, we're missing out on what God is doing. We're missing out on that God is calling from all nations and all ethnicities of people for his glory. And and this is what we see here. And I'm going to just walk you, I mean, our time's running out, but let me just walk you through how awesome this is picturing. Very quickly, some key words here. That your way may be known on the earth. Way there is singular And what it means is your works based on who you are. And I love when we were singing earlier, Psalm 145 was put up here. That your way may be known on the earth. You know what God's way on the earth is? It tells you your saving power among all nations. That's God's way on the earth. Why? Because God is gracious and he's merciful and he's slow to anger and he abounds in steadfast love. This is who God is and this is what God does. He saves fools like you and me. 
But not only that, it says, let the peoples praise you. So it's calling out for a praise. And and again, that's that peoples. And I love verse 4, let the nations be glad and rejoice and sing for joy. How many of us think about our relationship with God as joy? As joy. See, I think this is why, you know, statistics say 98% of, of you're here this morning and you believe in Christ and, and, and you're a Christian. Statistics say 98% of us rarely to never share our faith. I think that's because we don't enjoy God. We don't enjoy Him. And you see C.S. Lewis helped me out again reflect, uh, in his little book, Reflections on the Psalms. He says, and I want you to listen to this. He says, our enjoyment of something is incomplete until it leads to praise. This is what Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and Snapchat are telling us. Why do we love to post random stuff, right? Like, hey, I had a good meal. Other people need to see a picture of the food I just ate. I had a great family vacation. I want to post that so other people can see that, right? I want other people to know that I got engaged or I got into the school. I want, why? Because our enjoyment of that is incomplete until it flows over into praise, that's what God is getting at. So here's the thing. We're not enjoying God. We're settling for the baloney sandwich unless our enjoyment of God flows over into praise for the sake of others. And this is where we settle because it says, let the nations be glad. That's the word rejoice. I love that. And sing for joy. And I want to wrap up with this. That word sing for joy literally means give a loud ringing cry. I love that. I'm a huge soccer fan. My favorite club in the world is Liverpool Football Club. And they have a famous song called You Never Walk Alone that they sing before and after every match. And if you ever watch one of their matches, the commentators a lot of times will stop talking while the crowd is singing You Never Walk Alone. And when it comes back, what they will say is the rafters were shaking. And they'll say the hairs on our hands are standing because Thousands of people, like 60,000 people, are just singing in unison, you never walk alone for a soccer team. How much more should we ring our community with the praise of God? You see, don't miss this. This is even what the New Testament says about our salvation, because for this psalm, you and I are the peoples. We're the peoples. We're the ends of the earth. We're the people that 1 Peter says that we are now a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. But notice this, what does it say? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Even our salvation is for the purpose of proclaiming it, praising it, saying it's not me, it's him. And I'm going to ask you a question in closing, and it's this. Will you move past the Selah? Will you not settle for a bologna sandwich? I don't want this for my life. I don't want this for your life. I don't want this for Green Level Baptist Church. I don't want this for Northwest Community Church. I don't want us to settle because here's the thing. When we do that, we're going to live empty, unfulfilled, disquieted, searching lives in our relationship with God because we were made to join God in what he's doing when he's on the move, putting together his heavenly choir from every tribe and every language and all peoples that will one day gather together and say salvation belongs, don't miss this, to our God and to the Lamb. That's a word to live by. That's a goal for your life. 
So you're thinking, well, I'm not getting on a plane. I'm not going to Beirut. What do I do with that? You know the way you reach the nations? You walk across the street. You want to you take the first step in reaching the nations? Go to your neighbor. Go to the person that sits next to you in school. Go to the person on your sports teams or on your club. Go to the grocer, the waiter, the waitress, the Y instructor. Go to the person that works in the cubicle next door in the office down the hall. In Northwest, do I have to tell you I live in the same community as you? Do I have to tell you what an opportunity we have to reach unreached peoples where we live? God has taken peoples, dropped them on our doorstep and said, sing Psalm 67, tune your heart to my frequency and enjoy me and go lead others to enjoy me as well. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you.